0: Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. We talk to a lot of asset managers on Fear and Greed. They're investing and dealing with all asset classes, so they don't miss much in terms of opportunities and market trends. But a new report from EY suggests asset management itself could be in for a tough time, with the next five years set to be particularly challenging. Lower fees and higher spending on technology and new products could impact profitability, with some small and medium firms unable to survive. Rita De Silva is EY's Oceana Wealth and Asset Management Leader. Rita, welcome to Fear and Greed.
1: Thank you, happy to be here.
0: Now, up front, how do asset managers make money?
1: Yeah, so asset managers make money, they'll have assets under management from various different sources, be it institutional or or retail or via intermediaries and platforms. And they will earn a management fee on those assets under management. And then the aim is those assets under management and the percentages that they earn on that exceed their costs, which will be a combination of fixed and variable costs. So that's really simplifying the business model. Yep. So fees on AUM need to exceed fixed costs. And and therefore, you can see that there's going to be a certain level of AUM needed and where scale plays an advantage in that. And then, of course, many asset managers will still charge performance fees, so that really will be the icing on the cake, where they outperform a certain agreed benchmark, and that is really something that they will strive for that really adds to their bottom line profitability.
0: Okay, if you take the initial idea of the fees on assets managed, so what is typically, so if there's a $100 billion fund out there, or asset manager with $100 billion under management, are we talking like 1% or half percent or 3%?
1: Well, there is still a range in place and if you move right down to the passive asset classes in terms of, for example, ETFs, some of those are now only at uh, 20 basis points. And then you'll move up to the more active ones where they really need to prove that they're adding value and they might be around that 1.5% probably not seeing much more exceeding that one and a half percent but yeah so it really depends on the asset class whether it's active passive etc so yeah that would be the range
0: and then the performance fees on top of that they may have like cpi plus five percent this is totally arbitrary i'm making this up but if an asset management says we're going to get you cpi plus five percent and if they get seven percent i presume the performance fee on that extra two percent is a lot higher
1: That's correct. So that could be 20% of the outperformance, um, which is why it's seen as the icing on the cake. But most fund asset managers these days, and it is demanded by their clients, will have high watermarks. So you might outperform a benchmark this year, but you need to recover any negative performance from prior years, as an example. So they are becoming a lot more common as well.
0: Okay. So the report for 2020 on asset managers, what were the key findings?
1: So it's quite a comprehensive report, so I'll, I'll pick out a couple of key findings from there. So the global report is one that looks at a future outlook of asset management over the next five or so years, and it would be fair to say that the COVID-19 pandemic has added to the structural purchases that have been driving the industry really towards an inflection point. I think the next five years, we'll see the speed of that change accelerate, pushing firms to do more with less. So we're going to see competition and regulation will erode fees in every asset class, and there is a shift to lower margin strategies. And then there's also uh, the economic and demographic factors are likely to reduce net inflows compared to historic levels. And we're going to continue to see a need to invest in new products and technology, which is going to push up spending. So that's really going to put pressure on the profitability, the margins that asset managers make. And then we've done a bit of modelling on that and I'm just pulling out one of those on the base case scenario where we're still assuming that assets under management grows by about 15%, uh, we still expect that operating margins will decrease by just under 1%.
0: Okay, so 15%, so part of that will be the market itself growing and I know that last year a big part of the jump was actually the market increasing, is that correct?
1: That's right, yes.
0: And then the other part is just the flow of new money into the industry. If we take some of those things you're talking about, so why will margins be squeezed? Is it a competition issue?
1: It's a competition issue. There's an element of the winner takes all. So there's an element of scale. There's an element of consolidation, et cetera. So you know, there's a number of elements around that's going to impact on that. And it's also just asset managers are realigning themselves and changing. So our report shows that there's a number of things that asset managers can do to prioritise and build up their profit margins. And for example, one of those is realigning their business around what the client needs and pivoting from being Just a product provider to becoming a solution provider. And so those elements are going to see certain asset managers thrive while others may struggle a little bit more.
0: So, when you talk about that, are you heading down a financial planning path? Are those asset managers heading down a financial planning path?
1: Look, within Australia, there is, you know, asset managers will have a number of areas that they can focus on. And some will try and do it all and some may just try and look at their niche areas. So they could just be focused on institutional investments. So that would be predominantly if we look at Australia, you know, asset management for superannuation funds, but they could be doing a retail one, which will be via platforms and intermediaries such as financial planners and building up that one. Keeping in mind that also generally margins or fees on retail, it tends to be more than on institutional.
0: Okay, so I'm just trying to put all this together. Are we going to see fewer smaller asset managers? Because if there's this margin crunch and there's a demand to push towards a service model rather than just a product model, you probably need some sort of economies of scale to see that. Plus, there's all the regulatory push from APRA and that for the big funds at least to merge. So, do you think we'll end up seeing more bigger funds, fewer smaller funds?
1: I think that would be a correct prediction, yes.
0: Right. So, if I'm a retail investor, how should I be thinking about an asset manager? How do I pick one?
1: yeah well there's certainly still a lot out there (laughs) so look i I think you need to uh, retail as imagine needs to consider a number of things so they firstly need to understand their own needs it needs to be what is their portfolio what are their goals what are they trying to achieve and so unfortunately whilst advice that's probably a different discussion but whilst advice can be difficult to obtain by everyone now in australia given the high cost of regulation and expectations First, you need to know what you need in your portfolio. And then from there, you can choose an asset manager that matches your your asset class and your diversification goals. It's not an easy question, but retail one may look at the strength of the asset manager, the brand, the alignment with their their purpose and values. They may have non-financial goals, which we're seeing increase as well around ESG factors. And they may even sometimes be even willing to let go of certain elements to get other elements that align with their purpose and goals. You can't just choose on performance because, as they say, past performance is not a predictor of future performance. So I think you just need to really align with the story and the brand of the asset manager. How they have been tracking is important and, of course, the fees they're charging and how they deal with elements such as performance fees.
0: Okay, you mentioned ESG then and bringing the whole sustainable investing idea into the discussion. Are more people interested in sustainable investing now than 10 years ago?
1: Yes, they are. And it's researching this report and others shows that it's actually been escalated globally by the pandemic. So people are really just reevaluating, You know, life has changed. I know that's a cliche, but uh, we're seeing changes in how people work, shop, socialise, education, etc. And they are starting to see more environmental and social factors. And we are seeing a real increasing demand for those elements in a person's portfolio, but also a demand on that from the companies in their economy. So definitely seen a lot more in the ESG space.
0: Another thing the report talks about is sort of investing in, in new areas of growth. And for people like me, we think of bonds and shares and things like that. But you hear lots about private markets, infrastructure. Infrastructure, I sort of understand. They're big funds that invest in roads and bridges and whatnot. But when you're talking about private markets and some of those asset classes, what are they exactly?
1: So private markets will be, it could just be providing an alternate to Debt financing coming through. So, we're seeing a number of credit funds, for example, increase. So, that's an element of private marketing where you're providing alternative debt financing for mm-hmm. venture capital, private equity companies, etc So, those that are not listed but are looking to IPO in the future or are looking at new models. So, they could be a lot of them are aligned with sustainability goals as well. Right. Yeah. So, that would be your private market category.
0: Okay. Stay with me, Rita. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Rita Da Silva, Wealth and Asset Management Leader at EY. And then just one final thing, the superannuation guarantee has risen from 95 to 10% and it's due to rise to about 12%, I think, by 2025. That mandated increase in superannuation, though, that must help the industry somewhat.
1: It does in Australia. We're quite a relatively unique market. So yes, that will definitely help the asset managers almost having a captive of net inflows. And then it just becomes the battle of uh, securing those inflows into your funds (laughs) and not to another fund.
0: Yeah, just following on from that, because there's also legislation, in fact, it has just passed about best interest tests. So you can't sort of waste money as a fund manager. There's also legislation down the track for what they call sippers and the whole idea is that if you're a super fund, you actually have to have a strategy for someone in retirement rather than just an account based pension. So the whole I suppose my point there is there's lots and lots of legislation that seems to always change as well that affects these guys.
1: That's right. There's the your super, your future legislation which is coming in will will significantly change the whole ecosystem of superannuation and asset managers as a result. So asset managers also need to take into account how they play in that space and uh, support the super funds and what they can bring that's different to the super funds to meet those changing expectations and goals and legislation.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as a man in their early 50s and I was an economist by trade and I, a lot of my peers went into funds management broadly and really over the last 20 years or so, it really has been the rock star industry funds management. And I think a lot of people become very wealthy. You look now and I suspect technology or something like that is really the rock star industry it's a maturer industry, but it's not that easy an in industry, I reckon.
1: It's not that easy, but you are right. We do still do see a lot of entrants come in. I think we're starting to see a lot more models and part of what's in our report is transforming your, your business model and growth is not just around inorganic acquisition. It is also around the opportunity to partner in different ways with different organizations and, and combine your expertise. So you don't need to just be coming in and, and being a, a small player in Australian equities. You could partner with another firm that doesn't have that asset class and work in a more strategic manner in that way. So yes, we do see people still feel that they can come in and make it work and build a model that is reliant on everything else other than asset management being outsourced. But I think we will see over the next five years, more creative ways of entering the market just to take into account, I guess, the the cost of entry is getting higher as each day goes by. And so that will need to amend how people enter uh, the asset management market from from a small base.
0: Rita, thanks for talking to Fear and Greed.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sean.
0: That was EY's Wealth and Asset Management Leader, Rita Da Silva. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.